part of the reason she had behavioral problems was she couldn't read and she saw all her peers reading. And so Beth didn't give up on her. Beth kept working with her. And then finally, the this little girl gets to an end of a session and she reads a sentence and she's like, I can read. I can read. She was so excited. And, and so that just really planted a seed for this little girl and Diamond and so many others. I have so many stories, Byron, but the children get all excited wow. about that one-on-one yes. Yes. attention that yeah. they're getting from that adult. Karen Vogelsing is the executive director of Arise to Read, and she's in the studio today. Karen, it's so good to have you stop in and tell us about all the great things that's going on with Arise to Read. The last time was uh, sometime last year, wasn't it? I think it was about this time last year, Byron. Yeah, that we got together, yeah. and, uh, and we were in the middle of this pandemic. Yep. And, I mean, you were making big adjustments, right? <laughs> we were trying to figure out those big adjustments, that's for sure. <laughs> but we're here to give some really exciting news about this fall. Looks like a rice to read might be up full swing. We're back in business full swing. <laughs> that's exciting. Well, we got a lot of things we want to talk about. And really, the big need for our listeners to stay tuned, volunteers. Mm. And that's a big push right now. We want to yes. give you some details. So don't go anywhere, friend. We need you to stay around with us as we talk about your opportunity to serve through the work of Arise to Read. But hey, right now, the summer, I saw where there's a free virtual summer and literacy comprehensive reading camp that's going on in collaboration with the Memphis Public Libraries. Kitties from uh, 5 to 13 of course, a 13-year-old don't want me to call him a kitty. I know. I apologize for that. Uh, but from 10 until 11.30 a.m., now through July 23rd, yeah. and Monday through Friday. So you guys are doing this right now. We're not actually doing that. We have a partnership. Um, we've been coming alongside Rotary and Memphis Public Libraries and different projects. And so um, we are kind of a conduit in just getting the information out to parents and families, letting them know about that opportunity. Okay. So just a little side note as we start off, as parents are thinking about activities for their kids and want them to engage, you know, in something, you know, without the screen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> get, get, book, get around the book. So that would be a good thing. You can check with your public library about that. But I need a drum roll right now. We've got eight year of ministry and work here in the greater Memphis area supporting students arise to read. Karen, yes. this is an exciting landmark. Yeah, <laughs> it's been an incredible year. Yeah. And it is definitely reason to celebrate because yeah. I would say uh, maybe about 14 months ago, we weren't quite sure what Arise was going to do in the middle of a pandemic. But the Lord definitely opened doors for us. And uh, here we are having finished year eight and working with students face to face. You know, when the thing first happened with COVID, I was thinking maybe, you know, six or eight weeks or yeah, something. I yeah. think a lot of people were. Yeah. But we can really thank God that things have been progressively doing well. Yes. We thank God for that. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. But eight years. And you've been serving as executive director for how long now? Three years now. Okay. <laughs> Time flies when you're but, having fun. But you were associated with the Rise to Read prior to... The, um, your position, right? I was a teacher for 15 years with okay. Memphis City Shelby County Schools. Now, I knew that, but I thought you had volunteered or had some other position. No, I was just as blind as could be about the whole Arise to Read program until I met our founder, Donna Gaines. So these past three years, what's the ride been like for you? Well, it's been kind of a bumpy ride because I've been in the classroom for 15 years with first through fourth graders and not managing adults or payrolls or workman's comp insurance policies or signing rent leases or anything like that. So um, it's been an eye-opening experience. But 
I think the thing that I can say is that the Lord has just been walking right alongside me every step of the way, and there have just been so many incredible people that I've met and so many great experiences that have strengthened my faith, absolutely have strengthened my faith. But then the other aspect of it, when I was in the classroom, I was really working focused on anywhere from 20 to 30 children. The first two years of my Arise to Read work environment was supporting over 1,200 children. Now, of course, in this environment this past year, we served a lot less, but it's certainly more than 20 or 30 children. So we are making our volunteers. I mean, that's who I'm so thankful for, our volunteers that are willing to go face-to-face and work with so many children to help them become great readers. Well, you've got an amazing team of volunteers. You've got an amazing staff Yes, uh, working with faith-based organizations, businesses, other nonprofits, really, yes. that come alongside and help you guys do what you do, these foundational reading skills that are a must. Absolutely. Okay, before the COVID-19 pandemic, as you mentioned, more than 1,200 volunteers tutored more than 1,200 second-grade students yep. in 41 schools representing three different school districts. Yes. That's just crazy to think about it. (laughs) It is crazy to think about. And, you know, whether I'm talking to Byron Tyler or whether I'm talking to a foundation leader or I've actually been working with two national researchers, talking with them about our our programming, when they hear the number of volunteers that we have, they are just astounded about the number of volunteers that we have. And they're even more astounded when they find out that more than 80 percent of our volunteers keep coming back year after year. I mean, we have volunteers that have been out there since year one that are still serving now eight years later you know, working face-to-face with children because they see the impact. They see the impact that they're making for children academically, helping them become great readers, but also that social-emotional piece because so many of our children don't have that one-on-one attention from an adult for a variety of reasons. So when that volunteer makes that connection with the student, their confidence improves, their motivation improves, they see themselves as smart and capable, and then they want to read. You're matching one-to-one. That's what's so beautiful about this whole program, and that's where the life change can begin. And it does happen. The COVID-19 pandemic, as we mentioned, sort of adjusted your primary focus, which was second-grade students. It has been since the beginning. Right. Uh, Virtual learning hubs were created by many of your partners to support parents returning to work. Yeah. So you guys, you had to make some adjustments. We had to pivot. Yeah. Yeah, we sure did. And really, the interesting part of this story is that one of our faith-based partners reached out to us when they opened up their doors for the children there, and they just saw the need. They saw how great the need was, especially for kindergarten and first grade students. And you think about it from K-1 at that point, March of last year, they never got to finish the last quarter of their school year, which is a critical part for, for especially for K-1 students. So they said, can y'all come out here and help? And we're like, well, sure. Really, that was just kind of the birthing of us surveying our volunteer base, saying, hey, we've got this opportunity to serve face-to-face. We're going to be working with children, not just second grade, but kindergarten to whatever grade. Are you willing to do that? We had a, over a third of our 1,200 plus volunteers saying yes. So we went in and we pre-tested all of the students at that location. And then what happened, that dominoed into other locations. I had started having conversations with Memphis Athletic Ministries, so we served all four of their sites. And we're continuing to serve all four sites at Memphis Athletic Ministries this summer, which is summer programming, something we've never done before. So what ended up happening is we just created all these new partnerships And we prioritized students at pre-tested below grade level. We recruited volunteers. We put schedules together, which was very challenging because 
We had children in these virtual learning hubs that came from different schools. So they all had different schedules. That was like putting a patchwork quilt together, but amazing staff, amazing volunteers. And uh, again, we didn't serve a thousand students, but... Well, your, your staff and volunteers pre-tested 240 students from kindergarten through seventh grade. Right. 110 of these students, Karen, were identified as needing help. Now, as you said, that seems like a very small percentage of what you're typically used to right. serving and helping. But even if you look at the entire percentage of Shelby County school system... That's just a fraction. Very small fraction. But a very important fraction. Absolutely. One is better than none. Yes. Obviously, COVID was your biggest challenge. How did you and your volunteers overcome the challenge? Like you said, there was this patch quilt work that you try to get <laughs> yeah. schedules together. But in the back of people's minds, still, there's a pandemic going on. Right. I mean, the need was huge. And we were able to go into these different sites and watch children on these learning devices. You know, Shelby County did a great job in getting devices to all of the children enrolled in Shelby County schools with access to internet and things like that. But that whole platform was a very, very challenging environment, especially for our our little ones, our kindergarten and first grade students. Very challenging environment for teachers. One of the key words that we use at Arise to Read is flex adaptability. Um, And that was more at the forefront this past year than ever before, because If you think about it, in the fall, some of our sites were YMCA virtual learning hub sites. That's what this site was initially. It was a YMCA site. YMCA closed down in December of last year. So then those sites went away. So then it was like, okay, well, where did those kiddos go? Can we follow those kiddos somewhere? Then the YMCA opened back up, and then we started to go and pre-test kids in the two YMCA sites. And then it was time for the children to go back into the building in March. So it was just literally chasing a bouncy ball all over a room. (laughs) But we just kept pushing forward. It's like, okay, if there's a need, we've got the volunteers. Let's get in there. Even if it's only seven sessions or two sessions, whatever it may be, let's dive in and help who we can with what we have. And so that's what we did. Karen, I love that. I love, as you said, the adaptability, flexibility. Flex adaptability. I love that word. We need to see if it's in Webster's or maybe we can put it there. It we can maybe put it there. Oh, that's a great idea. As you completed the 2018-2019 school year, pre-COVID and before the Safer at Home order was issued, only 12% of second grade students pre-tested on grade level. Then at post-test, 49% were on grade level with 243% increase in reading on sight word grade level. I mean, yeah. that is... It melts your heart. It really does. Well, you know, know, when you look at all the different research that's out there on literacy, the most effective strategy for addressing learning loss is one-on-one tutoring. That's what we do. That's what our volunteers, they are one-to-one, face-to-face, working with the same two children week after week, typically in a pre-COVID year, from mid-September to early April. But even in this environment, and you think about pre-COVID, our principals and our second grade teachers that we're collaborating with, they're selecting the students. In this case, there was not the opportunity for teacher or principal input. Mm -hmm. We went in there, we pre-tested, we said, okay, these are the kiddos below grade level, let's prioritize them first. If we get more volunteers, then we can work our way back up the scale. So that's what we did. But even in that environment with that one-on-one support, the children, I mean, they just flourish in that environment. And then you think even more so in this environment, you've got parents stressed out, you've got teachers that are just trying to do their best in a very, very complicated environment. And the part that was heartbreaking and 
made you smile at the same time is at that very first sight, we would walk past the doorway and the kids would be doing this, looking out the window like, oh, humans, you know, and, but they were so excited for that. I think the other part that's been exciting for us this past year is that this time a year ago, we met Brother Eric Watkins at Red Door Urban Missions, and he founded Red Door Urban Missions and the New Horizons Apartments. And we've established this really deep relationship with the children there. We've done a vacation Bible school a year ago. The team is there right now. We provided a Rise to Read support during the year. We did an after-school Bible club on Mondays. So we've gone really deep with the families and the children there. I say all that to say that relationship matters. Our volunteers have just made a significant difference this past year. Well, you know, there is an abundance, as you mentioned, of research that shows that one-on-one tutoring is the most effective strategy for addressing unfinished learning. If you will, define unfinished learning and how one-on-one is the key to that. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people have been using the term learning loss, and I think some people have been uncomfortable with that term learning loss. As a Tennessee State Teacher of the Year, I've had the opportunity to work with the CEO of the National Network of State Teachers of the Year, and he used the term learning loss, and I really like that term so much better. But basically, what we saw firsthand— You just said you like learning loss better. I like learning loss. I like unfinished learning better than learning loss. Okay, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I just want to stop and make sure we understand each other. Yes. Okay, that's good. I like unfinished learning better. Yeah. So let's just take kindergarten, for example. Those kiddos in kindergarten— They came out of school in the middle of March, so they had basically a full quarter to go. Those kiddos had been spending most of their school year learning letters and sounds and blending those letters and sounds and never really getting that opportunity. And I'm not saying for all children, but for many of our children, especially our children in at-risk communities who are at risk for reading failure by the third grade, they never got that opportunity to put all that together. But then they went to school in August of last year and you know, magically, they're first grade students and starting at a first grade level. So there is some unfinished learning out there. The great thing about the Arise to Read program when Donna worked with Memphis City Schools back then when Arise to Read first got started is this entire protocol is basically we're finding out exactly where a child is. What is their point of success? And then what is their point of weakness? And then that's where we start and we build from there working on building that sight word fluency, building that vocabulary so that they're understanding how to use uh, these different words correctly in context. Now, is testing that you do to determine that, is that something that you have developed or using other resources? Oh, no. This is such a simple assessment. We're basically using the Fry sight word list. It's a research-based list of a 1,000 words that are found most often in texts from kindergarten to late, middle, early high school. These words are typically not words that you can sound out. They're words like because and through and thought, words that aren't typically decodable or right. as you know, a layperson would say, you can't sound them out. But kids have to be able to recognize these words without automaticity. And there's a theory of automaticity in the world of literacy. And so when children can recognize those words with that automaticity, it builds their reading fluency. Reading fluency is necessary for reading comprehension, which is the whole purpose of reading, right? Right. So if your brain is all busy trying to sound out or decode a word, meaning's not even popping in there. So what we do is we simply put that fry sight word list in front of them, and we have the kiddos start reading the words, and we tell them, hey, we want to find out how smart you are, and um, we're here to help you become great readers, and do you like reading? And a lot of times the kids say no. By the time we leave, they're so excited about reading, you know, because they've had that one-on-one attention, and they see the success. Yes. They can see that with every single session. 
We meet them exactly where they are. Uh, you have some examples on how one-on-one support from your volunteers goes beyond the academics with students. Yes. For so many of our children, and you know, I saw this firsthand when I taught 12 of my 15 years, 10 of my 15 years, I was in the Fraser area. You know, I worked with students whose families were struggling and living in poverty, who children that faced emotional abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse. They didn't know what they were going to be eating when they went home on the weekend. I mean, I have so many stories. But what my students taught me during that time was it all starts with relationship. What happens with our volunteers is they spend that very first session with their two children, one-on-one individually at first, finding out all about me. So there's this all about me page that they have. What do you like to eat? What's your favorite food? What's your favorite subject? What do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, How many brothers and sisters do you have? Just all those kind of general questions to kind of break the ice and get to know the kiddos. But what happens is the children know what day and what time you're coming to see them, and they expect you. I tutored at uh, Knight Road Elementary, and Diamond had attendance problems. I found out as a result of a rise to read being in the school that she was telling her mom, you got to get me to school on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And her attendance went up because of that relationship that we had. Our director of operations, Beth Patterson, worked with a little girl at Treadwell. She was a, as my mother would have said, my English mother, she was a right little pickle. She had behavioral problems, but part of the reason she had behavioral problems was she couldn't read and she saw all her peers reading. Beth didn't give up on her. Beth kept working with her. And then finally, this little girl gets to an end of a session and she reads a sentence and she's like, I can read? I can read? She was so excited. And and so that just really planted a seed for this little girl and Diamond and so many others. I have so many stories, Byron. But the children get all excited about that one-on-one attention that they're getting from that adult. And we have to remember that too often now, like you think about when we go out for dinner or lunch or wherever – How often are we seeing families stick a device in front of their kiddos as a babysitter, right? And what's going to make a difference for our children is that one-on-one attention is talking with them, playing games with them, reading with them, reading to them, asking them questions about what they're reading, even if they're in middle and high school. So, yeah, the the support goes beyond academics. I mean, if children are placed in an environment – I have a three-year-old. I have two granddaughters, but my youngest is three – one of the first things she does when I come over is pick up a book, and bring it, and it in my lap. She wants to sit, snuggle with me, and she wants me to read to her. Mine too. And after I finish reading, she wants me to read it again, yep. Poppy. Read yep. it again. Read, read it, it again. again. You know, that's that connection you're talking about that a lot of these kids never got. They've never gotten it, and you know, um, a lot of people will ask us because you know one of the things that we do at Arise to Read is we want to make sure that we put books into the hands of the children that we're working with, and not just the children that we're working with, but even like at Memphis Athletic Ministries, we were only working with a fraction of the students that were attending, but we bought books for all of the children. So that was a new experience. We were buying books for middle school students, so a whole new genre there for us, but we did it. A lot of people will say to me, well, you know, we've got this great books from birth program. We do. It's an awesome program. Unfortunately, those books are going to very transient families that don't always leave a forwarding address. So there's a very large percentage. I I believe the last percentage I heard was roughly 40 percent of those books are returned. So we're putting these books directly into the hands of children, because I can tell you from my experience when I taught in Fraser, I remember Jay Kwan. I was working with him in the fourth grade, and he was making such gains in math. 
and he came um, to school one morning, and I said, how'd you do with your math homework last night? And he's like, Miss V, I can't think about that. My brother just got arrested, and he's in jail, and I don't know where I'm sleeping tonight. So it was one of those situations wow. where mom couldn't yes. think about putting books into the home. Right. Mom was thinking about, where am I going to get rent money? Where are we going to sleep? The power's off, you know, oh. all those sorts of issues. Yeah. So for us, we're putting books, eight to ten brand new books each year, into the hands of all of these children. And another project that those listening can team up, Absolutely. they can help you guys do. Absolutely. And we'll get some details in a moment. But as we mentioned, there's plans to return to the partner schools this fall. I think there's 39 schools, 35 have already said yes in welcoming a rice to read back. Two of the schools have closed, and I think you're waiting for the rest just to give We've their final. Got, yeah, now we're, we're just down to two okay. since we last talked. Oh, nice. So we're just down to two, waiting on two responses. I think our final number, if we hear back from those other principals, just haven't heard from them yet will be somewhere between 43 and 45 schools, which will be greater than the 41 schools we were working with pre-COVID. Right. Can't even imagine the number of students that will need the support that we can provide, that our volunteers and, can provide. And Karen, that's not including, for the first time, a Rice to Read is going to be supporting two private schools this year. Karen, what are the unfinished learning similarities between private school and public school students? Are there any different contributing factors well, I think in this case, both of these private schools are um, urban, are basically urban private schools. So one in Fraser, and that's going to be a New Hope Christian yeah. school. And then the other one is Brinkley Heights Academy. So both of these schools are serving um, children in at-risk populations in at-risk communities. And I just know from speaking with both of the administrators at both of those schools that there are children there that have unfinished learning just like the children in our public yes. schools. And, and, you know, so, and Pastor Tim over there at Brinkley Heights, yeah. I've had him on the show before. Yeah. I mean, and he's talked about some parents who bring their kids to school there very much involved with drugs. And I know you see a lot of this. Right. This is a great opportunity for them to share the gospel with the children and then reach the parents, which they do. Absolutely. And so this is an incredible opportunity. It's an incredible opportunity for us because, you know, obviously during the school day, we're going to be very respectful of not sharing the gospel with the children that we're serving, you know, and sometimes I have people that aren't very happy about that. And I was like, look, you know, biblically, we're called to to follow the rules yes. that are out there. And so we are going to follow the rules, whether you're an atheist, a Christian, uh, Jewish, Muslim, it doesn't matter what your background is, you are not to share your faith during the school day. At Red Door Urban Missions, it's been incredible. And even at Memphis Athletic Ministries, both of these ministries are Christian ministries. So we've had an opportunity to share the gospel. We've had an opportunity to buy books for the children about the gospel. So that's been very exciting. And so I know we'll have that same opportunity at these two private Christian schools. But even pre-COVID, we had two um, after-school Bible clubs. That's something that we're getting deeper in as we uh, move things forward. We got the academic arm running really well. And that's the, that's our other E. You know, we're, we're a rise of the number two read and our, it's because of our two E's, evangelism and education. We were working in two public schools after school. With parent permission, principal permission, we can share the gospel. So that's something that is uh, yes. another uh, another goal on our... And all of these goals, all these plans really rest on the shoulder of an incredible resource of volunteers. Oh, yes. And that's why we're here today yes. to let people know, hey, we need some volunteers. We do. We do. You know, we had, like I said, we identified in collaboration with principals and teachers over 1,200 students in need of support at those 41 schools. But with the expectation of there being unfinished learning out there, even with just in the second grade population, 
there could easily be 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 children that need support. And so we are just really calling on everybody throughout the city of Memphis. If you can read, we need you. And it's not we as a rise to read. Our children need us. You know, our children are our most precious resource for the future. And this isn't just about helping a child to read. I, I could tell you countless stories of how children have gone home and impacted their families. So this goes back to kind of our tagline, save a child, save a family, save a city. This is about all of us in the Memphis community. We can't attract businesses if we don't have an educated workforce. And we can't get an educated workforce if they're not reading by the time they leave the third grade. So this work is very, very important for all of us. So where do volunteers sign up? What do they do? How do they start? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's real easy. They can call Arise to Read at 901-347-5545, or they are welcome to email me directly. And that's real easy. Karen, K-A-R-E-N, V as in Victor, at arisetoread.org. And it's A-R-I-S-E, the number two read.org and email me directly and we will be hosting our kickoff on August the 18th. It's been two years since we've done a big kickoff. So we're planning a big kickoff on August the 18th that morning uh, that will help people learn more about what's going to be coming up. And the the kickoff, where will that take place at? It will take place at Bellevue Baptist Church. Okay. You can just come and just have any inkling of an interest. You want to learn something. Hey, could I do this? Yep. This is the perfect place to come. It's a perfect place. And one of the things that we're going to be doing, just because our partner base with faith-based organizations, businesses, and nonprofits, you know, in the past, because our founder is Donna Gaines and the wife of Pastor Steve Gaines at Bellevue, we've got access to Bellevue. But we've also got these other great partners throughout the city. We've already reached out to those partners. So we've got Millington, we've got Hickory Hill area, we've got the Germantown Collierville area. We've got these partner churches that are going to open up their doors. And so we're going to be having training sessions right after the August 18th kickoff, all the way through the end of September at all these different locations so that we can make it as convenient as possible. (laughs) They'll be in the morning and we'll have one in the evening. So you will have no excuse. (laughs) No excuse. No excuse. So again, August 18th is the day that we encourage our friends to mark on your calendar be ready if you want more information you can call a rice to read at 901-347-5545 901-347-5545 or email karen at karen v at arise the number two read.org wow karen it's always great to have you oh thank you Byron. To get the update congratulations on the eight years and moving thank forward you. All so, glory to God. All glory. I'm so excited you guys are going to be back in the schools as well. We far. are too. Wow. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Hey, I'm Byron Tyler. You know, one way to listen to the Mid-South Viewpoint radio show that you just heard, as well as previous episodes, is to download the Bot Radio mobile app available for iPhone and Android users. Additionally, you'll be able to listen to all the programs that you hear on this station anytime, anywhere. Why not download today and enjoy listening to your favorite program here on Bot Radio Network.